So a big part of following Jesus is about seeing and hearing. And as we see and as we hear, we sometimes see and hear amazing and frightful things. Daily, there is a wake-up call that Jesus issues. He just keeps sending that wake-up call throughout his ministry and beyond his ministry to us. And there's this almost incessant invitation that he issues to stay awake, to watch, to take notice, to take it in, and let what you've seen and heard do some kind of work in your lives. And as we've seen, what he says and does often occasions, frankly, more questions than it provides answers. And that frustrates the people who are following, the disciples and many others who are in the concentric circles that go out from the disciples. And I think in the Gospel of Mark, what is captured there better than in any of the other three Gospels is that Mark pretty much points to this truth that Jesus occasions more questions than he provides answers. And that's why the disciples are amazed and afraid because their minds are constantly working on, now what does that mean? And who is this guy? Mark 12 is, as we saw last week, a a section of Mark's gospel where the gospel writer is pointing to the truths that Jesus taught in the temple, the, the conversations that he got into as he engaged with the religious officials, the things that he saw as he noticed the widow putting her small amount of money in the treasury. So Mark 12 is Jesus teaching in the temple, but today we come to Mark 13, where Jesus exits the temple and teaches the disciples something about the temple as they exit, and then they go over to the Mount of Olives and sit and look at the temple And there Jesus says some more things that kind of expand on what he says about the temple itself. So Jesus is teaching in the temple, and then Jesus turns in Mark 13 to teaching about the temple, but more specifically to teaching about noticing the work of God. And so we're going to look at Mark 13. It's full of all sorts of things, and many of those things I'm not going to read because it's a long chapter. But I'm going to read the beginning of the chapter and and the end of the chapter. It is one of those passages that can become, as a theology professor once said to our class at Fuller, the happy hunting ground of kooks and crackpots of the Christian faith. (laughs) And indeed it is. I'm not going to read most of those parts today. We don't have time. And so, uh, but... um, I think in all integrity, I'm going to tell you what I think this chapter is about, and I'm going to read those parts and talk about that big picture. So what else is new? Uh, But uh, I want to read verses 1 through 8, and then verses 28 through the end of the chapter in Mark 13. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. And then Jesus asked him, 
Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. And when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? And then Jesus began to say to them, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cock crow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. So let's pray. Lord, the act of opening our eyes seems so easy and matter of fact, and yet we realize the act of seeing is sometimes a bit more complex. So help us to see this day. Help us to keep watch, to stay awake and to notice how you are at work among us right now. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So, in the interest of allowing equal time for other opinions, last week I started with an expression of consternation about the absence of sun in the Northwest, and I, I uh, had a conversation with Don Cook after the service, and she said to me, she said, you know, there's a difference between Southern California and here. It's not that we don't have sun up here. It's just that we appreciate it more. <laughs> she, says, she says, heck, down there, they have it every day. They don't even know it's up there. But we, uh, we know it's here. And we appreciate it more. After 27 years of living here, Thank you, Dawn. You're absolutely right. <laughs> and I, I felt like that deserved to be said. You know, one of the things that has schooled me in this reality is that strange phrase that I heard weathermen start to use when we moved up here when they talked about sunbreaks. 
in Southern California, we talked about cloud breaks. Because <laughs> the clouds were weird, and, uh, and the sun was normal. And uh, here, the sun is weird, and the clouds are normal. And so it's like oh, we have sun breaks up here. But the thing that Dawn did for me more than anything else is that she helped me to understand something that has happened in the evolution, those mutations that take place within us after we live in a place for a while. And what has happened for me is that appreciation of subtlety as seasons begin to change. It's not something that, you know, we talk about spring just sort of popping out, but no, spring is this long, hard labor. And you just watch those buds going, when, when, when. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Push, push. It goes on for months as you see the anticipation of things popping out. And I've really actually come to appreciate that. It's, it's something that... Um, I have to say that though I miss my year-round basil hedge that I had, literally, I mean, it wasn't huge, but it was this big, you know? I mean, you, and you could go out there and cut basil year-round, you know? I mean, here the basil turns to mush, you know, <laughs> sometime in early September, it seems like. But I miss the bank of Dutch iris bulbs blooming in February, but, I've learned to appreciate the subtle signs of spring and that anticipation that comes as you're waiting for something to pop. Spring is slow in coming. It's kind of a, an endless preparation, as I've said. It feels like it at times. Those buds on the trees, those stubby little daffodil swords that kind of stick up uh, from the ground, just sort of as if they're sort of looking to see if it's okay to send the rest of it up. <laughs> and it's teaching me to do exactly what Jesus calls us to do in this text, which is to stay awake, to watch, to notice what might be subtle and unseen if you weren't paying attention. What Jesus is calling his disciples to do from the beginning of their time with him through to this time and beyond before he ascends to heaven after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, what he's calling them to do is to watch, to pay attention. And sitting there on the Mount of Olives and expanding on his earlier remark about the temple, about the big, beautiful temple and how it won't endure, he's inviting the disciples to pay attention to something. He says, yes, these stones are beautiful. Yes, this building is big, but there will come a time. And interestingly enough, that time happened not but 40 years later than his comment when the Romans destroyed much of Jerusalem during the Jewish wars, during the, the Jewish rebellion, that the temple was torn apart and the walls were knocked down again. It's kind of an outlandish prediction that Jesus makes because it didn't make much sense 
to the disciples, but he's basically making a bigger point than just the temple's going to be torn down. He's making the point that the things that you think are going to last probably aren't going to last. The things that you have put your weight down on are probably not going to hold you. They aren't as great as they look. There are attempt to be great, but there's no one, there's nothing greater than God. The disciples want to know after Jesus makes this prediction, oh, this must be, this must be the coming of the kingdom when the temple's going to be destroyed that he's talking about, although that's not on our books, but maybe that's what he's talking about. So when are these things going to happen, Jesus? And so as they're sitting over on the Mount of Olives, they want to know about the consummation of history, the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. They want to know the same thing that James and John wanted to know, you know, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus resists answering the question directly. Ha ha, what else is new? <laughs> and instead he reissues the initial invitation that he makes at the beginning when he calls them to follow him, when he calls them to come and see, when he calls them to watch and stay awake, to abide, stick with me. Stick with life. Look for me wherever you will. Because people will, he then goes into a description of the adversity that people will experience. And I think what he's saying there is people will experience adversity and persecution. Life will continue, in other words, to be hard. But the hardship will actually be the labor pains of a new thing. And he's kind of pointing to the truth that it will be a long, hard labor. Since the death and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, the church has been anticipating his return for that entire time. We're coming close to 2,000 years. And turning passages like this one in Mark 13 over the years into a kind of crystal ball or really nothing more than tea leaves or tarot cards that a, a psychic might use, turning these kinds of passages into some sort of prophetic puzzle to be figured out. And we've all had predictions depending on who's reading it and when. I still get a mailer in my mailbox every single year from a church nearby that's having a prophecy conference that's going to tell me the answers to all these questions every single year. You know, when I was in high school and junior high, the, the book that people were reading was Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth and, you know, talking about how the locusts in Revelation are actually helicopters and, and uh, things like that. I mean, these kinds of things are a part of our history, a part of trying to read the signs and looking for when the end will come. But what does Jesus say to all of that? He'll come when he feels like it. And you don't know when that's going to be. And these things are more about signs of what you're always experiencing, not that he's coming back but that this is what life is like all the time. Good Lord, all we have to do is open the newspaper and read it to see that 
the earthquakes and the wars and the rumors of wars and nations rising up against nations. Uh, friends, that's world history. That's not apocalyptic. Jesus says, watch for something else. Watch for me. And the real force of this passage is not in these prophetic clues that need to be figured out, but the remarkable consistency of his invitation to stay awake, to watch, to keep following, to look for the signs of life. You pair this passage with Matthew 28, before his ascension, he says, Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And suddenly, all of those little puzzles don't need to be figured out. Because the point is a relationship that has begun and will continue throughout eternity. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, so watch for the signs of life. Watch for my presence in the everyday. Until I come, watch. Look for where I am. Look for and join the signs of new life and redemption right now. Look for the leaves on the fig tree that come in early summer, he says. Back to the fig tree again. Look for the signs of life. Don't concern yourself with how it will all end. Look for how I'm with you right now. Stay awake to the signs of life and love, the signs of my presence right now. One of the things that um, every preacher has heard is Karl Barth's famous line where he says, preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. <laughs> Look at me, Carl! I'm doing it! <laughs> Two things in Monday's paper. The first is a story of anticipating the confirmation hearings of Katanji Brown Jackson and reading about her and hearing her self-introduction made me want to dance. Why? Because 160 years ago she would have been a slave. Because 75 years ago she would have been legally kept out of many of the buildings in the South and not allowed to vote. But this week, this bright, intelligent, incredibly together person was being interviewed to be the next Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. That makes me dance. Whether the Senate confirms her or not, they will. But that makes me dance because something new has happened. Some redemption has taken place, and I give thanks to God for that. The other thing, two little boys, Afghani little boys, starting school in Burien. What a great picture. Again, a sign of redemption. Not so long ago, that family was wondering if they'd survive. Not so long ago, their world was coming apart. And now it's not that it's going to be easy. Good Lord, it's not going to be easy. Lots of ink spent on how easy it's not going to be. But they're here. 
They're alive. They've been freed. Something new is busting out. And I want to celebrate that. That too makes me want to dance. Not just for them and what they've achieved, but for the people who have expressed and continue to express hospitality toward them and are making welcome for them in the same way that homes in Ukraine and and Poland and elsewhere in Europe are opening up to house refugees fleeing the war there. In Acts 1, and we'll look at this a little bit on Easter as well, but in Acts 1, just before, uh, as Jesus is raised into heaven in the Ascension passage, the disciples are just sort of standing there. Luke captures this so beautifully. The disciples are standing there looking up, and they hear a voice from an angel It says, why are you staring into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken out from you, will return. So bring your focus back down to earth. That last part is mine, by the way, if you want to turn to the text. It's assumed. Jesus will return, but there is life to be lived. There is love to be shared right now. Stop asking when and how, says Jesus, I am going to get rid of evil and start participating in what is good. So stay awake and join in and notice and walk in the cracks of light that are even right now breaking through the darkness. Let's pray. The pain of the cracks in our lives, Lord, and in our world is hard to bear. But as one lyricist has said, the cracks let the light in. So help us to walk to those places and as we examine the fissure, to let your light shine on us as well. For we pray this in your name. Amen.